Hey, Danas and Beckys, what you're about to hear is an encore presentation of one of our favorite episodes from the Don't Ask Tig archives. Please enjoy. Hey, listeners, uh, not to be braggadocious, but Don't Ask Tig has been nominated for another award. This time it's iHeartRadio's 2022 Podcast Awards for Best Advice slash inspirational podcast. We're up against Oprah and Brene Brown. No big deal. Uh, We all saw it coming. And by the way, we're also crossing a special milestone today. This is our 50th episode. Please hold your applause. And who better to celebrate 50 episodes with than the one and only Taylor Dane. So if you're new, welcome. And if you've been listening, thanks for your support. Now on with the 50th show. It's good to see you again. Likewise. It's always good. Quite a while. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but I see you out there and about there, my love. (laughs) I see you. And you've become quite a part of my life. Amen. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, and my new hit single is titled Don't Ask It to My Heart. (laughs) My guest today is an actress and Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter. She's sold over 75 million records worldwide. Rolling Stone calls her one of the best female dance artists of all time. You may also remember her as a central figure in a story I told on my album, Good One, as well as on an episode of This American Life. She's got one of the most incredible singing and speaking voices I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Taylor Dane, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Oh, (laughs) which voice would you like today, baby? (laughs) You know me. I'll take whatever I get from you. Man, I love it. I think my story proves that. Absolutely. (laughs) And God knows what condition I'll be in to give you the answer. (laughs) Remind me again, how did we meet? Um, I think what was happening is you were doing a lot of stand-up comedy. It was claimed that every time I went into a probably a California chicken cafe or (laughs) somewhere else, (laughs) That we'd be online at similar times. And you recall, you would come up and ask me, um, hi, I just have to say, (laughs) pardon me, excuse me. I mean, that was your shtick. And then I didn't know about it until, of course, a lot of my friends would be uh, calling me. Do you know this comedian, Jake Nataro? And, you know, she's she's talking about you and her skits. And I go, oh, yeah? What about? Like, well, saying that she was a big fan, but she didn't want to bother you. But she loves your voice. And you said you'd see me everywhere. I saw you everywhere, everywhere. (laughs) It was the most insane thing. And so I think it was that the first time that I did see you was at a party. And when I went up to you, you kind of blew me off. At the party, I blew you off. Yeah, you blew me off at the party. Mm. And I was like, ow, 
that stung. And Aww. so when I kept seeing you, I thought, well, I'll just turn this into a social experiment and I'll <laughs> ask her the exact same question every single time. So where was it? Was it like a piece of kitchen cabinet? Like yeah, where was yeah. this crap? Well, I saw you once at a dinner. You were out with a bunch of friends and I was seated at a table behind you. And I said, um, so you walked up to our table. No, no, you were sitting behind me. And I I turn around and I say, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you, but I just have to tell you, I love your (laughs) your voice. And you said, "Um, my speaking voice? Because I think you were making a joke because obviously I probably meant your singing voice. And then you said, I don't do that anymore. I act now. And I was like, oh, okay. That's classic. Classic Taylor. Oh, man. (laughs) And that was one of the things that I loved about you when I met you on This American Life, because my fear or concern was if you heard the story that you were going to deny it, that you were going to be one of those people that would deny. And you were like, yeah, that sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right. Yeah. And so then I liked you even more. And uh, I loved that you had a sense of humor about it. Absolutely. And so this story follows you around, I imagine. It's brilliant, babe. You put it on the planet. And all I can say is look at us here talking about it 10 years later, you know? Yeah. It's a funny shtick. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It follows me around too. People come up to me (laughs) and they're like, excuse me. I'm sorry Sorry to bother bother you. you. Yes. Yeah. I have to tell you, I love your voice. And do you fall for it sometimes when people come up and say, excuse me? And then you you don't realize they're about to do that? No, I turn around and I laugh like a where's thing. Are we doing any other podcast? What are we doing? That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. And what was your real reaction when you first heard that somebody was talking about you, a comedian was talking about you? Did you feel defensive? No. I mean, Sandra Bernhardt used to get a kick out of talking about me, too. I mean, <laughs> you, you girls are like peas in the pod. Um, Paris was more physical comedy, a lot of shtick with that actually trying to sing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I would never do. But you know, with those big lips and big hair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She would let it out of bed. No, I I got a real kick out of it. Oh, good. But I was also like, holy shit, what did I say to her? Like, God knows <laughs> what restaurant would be in Indochine. Who knows? And I'm like, how many martinis was she in? One, two? Who knows? For me to say something is like, I mean, I was definitely did not know you were a comedian, but who was a comedian yeah. that night? Honestly, take. Yeah, I know. Sorry to bother you. I really love your voice. You were just coming from pure heart. Yeah. And there I was just blowing up your dream. Just slam dunking me. Slam dunking me. (laughs) And I walked away still loving you every time. Thank God. (laughs) So you mentioned uh, in your TED Talk, every single you've ever released has either the word love or heart in it. Why do you suppose that is? Well, I can thank my record company. It's not like you associate me necessarily with um, Valentine's Day, but there's something... I certainly don't. (laughs) (laughs) Most people like associate my music with dance. There's upbeat, but, you know, think about the Love Will Lead You Backs, the I'll Always Love Yous. These are very Uh, heartfelt songs. The best. When we wrote the TED Talk and when I was writing it, I was like, what is this? Tell it to my heart. Prove your love. Love will lead you back. I'll always love you. I was like, this is getting ridiculous. (laughs) to be the universal language. What is your favorite song of yours? I think of it more in terms of performing it live now, because that's really where the 
you know, after 25, 30 years with some of these beautiful gems. Yeah. Uh, live, I love doing Shelter. I'll be your shelter. That is my favorite song of yours. Are you serious? Oh, one million percent. When there's cows hanging in your sky, and they're just not letting any light in, right? And you feel like you'd like to give, and don't you give up so soon. What you need is a friend to count on. What you got, baby, you got someone. Honey, I'll be your shelter. I'll be the one to take you through the night. Night, night. Whenever you need shelter. I'll make everything all right. Make everything all right. Yeah. Have I ever mentioned how much I love your voice? Yeah, baby. You have. <laughs> and I'm honored and you're such a you're such a dynamo boo. Oh my that song is so incredible. That's so special to know that it's yours as well. Really is. It's really a great yeah. song. Written by Diane Warren, amazing songwriter. Oh my gosh, she's incredible. Yeah, she doesn't stop. Now, you're a single mom to a boy and a girl, teenage fraternal twins. Last teenage year, you're right, but mine are 19, almost 20. That's insane. Yeah, babe. I also have fraternal twins. I don't know if you know that. I don't. I have two five-year-old boys now. So what's your advice to single parents out there? Listen, it's not about being a single parent. It's about being a parent, period. Uh This is definitely the most challenging and overwhelming and beautiful and vulnerable part of my last 20 years of my life, you know? Mm -hmm. As a single mom, I got every piece of them, every chunk of it. Yeah. But I also was very determined to be a mother. I went for one. I ended up having the twins. I did a surrogacy in the day, which was very unusual and the type of fertility. And it was, yeah, that was over 20 years ago. And it was only legal here in California and Delaware at the time. And as a single parent, I only could find one agency where there weren't many to represent me. And it took months and months, you know, on a waiting list. And so these kids were very wanted. Yeah. At least one of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I tell them. But that's funny that you had two boys because they told me for six months, six months, I was having two boys. And you know it after going through this procedure, how closely they're watched, you know? Oh, yeah. We think it's all scientific breakdown, but there are those moments and those miracles where there's unexplainable stuff. And it was pretty because, I mean, I saw two penises (laughs) every time you do the ultrasound (laughs) and the amnio, right? You know, you know what you know. That's where I wouldn't be helpful. I'd be like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Well, agreed. (laughs) But I mean, at that point, the doctor's going, there's two penises because you're like, what am I having? I'm, you know, since now it's two, it's not 14 because, you know, when they're giving you those first numbers, I don't know how yeah. you did it with your yeah, partner, yeah. but you're like, is that how you eat kids? Am I having, what am I having triplets? I was like calling my brothers. You're going to take one, right? Yeah, you're taking <laughs> one. We were open to triplets. Dude. We were. I mean, after having twins, we're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad we didn't have triplets. But um, where would you even put the third one on the roof? Like, I just don't get it. (laughs) Honestly, I know I've seen like videos on YouTube with people with multiples where they line the babies up and they feed the babies down the line. They change the diapers down the line. They give the bath down the line. And it's just like wild. That's why women get two nipples, not eight. (laughs) I guess that's true. Bottom line. I've honestly never thought about that. Well, let's break it down. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, Taylor, <laughs> this is an advice podcast. So are you ready to help me help my listeners? Well, only you know what's possible could come out of my <laughs> mouth, but absolutely. The first question is from someone who could really use your musical expertise. Marie writes, one of my best friends in the whole world is getting married. And she asked me to play guitar and sing during her and her future husband's first dance. This is the greatest honor of my life, and I would love nothing more. However, I'm not a performer. I play and sing for fun, but performing in front of a live audience is new territory for me. I have debilitating stage fright, often shaking and quivering when doing small class presentations, even on Zoom. I know I can sing and play the song she requested, but how do I overcome my severe stage fright? Please help. Well, first of all, just let's break this down. Obviously, if it's really debilitating, I mean, obviously you're saying it in such a way that it's believably tough. Yeah. So my point is, if this isn't a show, you're with family and friends. This isn't a performance. So first, just take that in and just acknowledge that they're not there to just watch you. They're watching the first dance. So all eyes, believe it or not, are going to be on your beautiful friends, mm-hmm. their marriage, their first dance together. And it'd be nothing short of just being such service and beautiful in the background, knowing that you're performing this and playing this song that they can merge and, you know, share their love with you with. And, you know, the camera might be rolling on you with friends and family. It's a wedding, but it's not a performance. So don't think of it that way. And just think of it as a beautiful sharing opportunity with friends and family. Mm-hmm. Believe me, think about how many times I've been asked to sing it. I'm like, Hey man, <laughs> I'm like, I'll sit at the table or you can pull a Taylor Dane. You sit at the table and say, press the mic to me. So nobody will take them 20 minutes to figure out where you're seated. No lights on you. And then by the time it's over, nobody will know it was you. I just want to say that I think that's tremendous advice because I agree in that, um, Marie, it's not, and this is no offense to you, but it's not about you. No. And like Taylor said, all eyes are going to be on your friends. And it is such an incredible gift to be a part of that moment with them. Absolutely. And I bet you will be forever grateful that you were included in that moment. I will say, and I'm curious how you feel, Taylor, if Marie feels like she's going to lose control of her bodily functions and be unable to do this, should she back out? Or should she just have faith in herself and just make it happen? If she can't physically do it, you can't physically do it. But it just seems to me that you're just, you're more on the fence because it's just a fearful opportunity for you. But if it would bring you nothing but joy, because you said that and make you happiest person in the world, that's what you're sharing. And that's what people really take away from it. Yeah. You got to do it, Marie. Yeah, for real. And look, Taylor has sung for millions of people, so follow her advice. I should have gotten you to sing at my wedding. What was I thinking? Dude, what were you thinking? I don't know. God. Hello. (laughs) Um, Taylor, stay with me. After a short break, we will be back with more questions. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. 
but are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. Taylor Dane, our next question is from a listener in Utah. Allison writes, my body type is Winnie the Pooh, skinny legs, no ass, big belly. In the past, I've been able to slim down by doing very restrictive diets. I felt sexy and happy, but I was also filled with anxiety about accidentally gaining the weight back, which I did. Should I yet again become a sexy health fanatic or should I accept my pooness? And just enjoy whiskey, chocolate, and honey treats. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, so what, the alternative to getting in shape and being healthy is to be a what? What did she say was her last thing? Should I just what? <laughs> Should she accept her poo-ness and just enjoy whiskey, chocolate, and honey treats? She's basically saying that she has to either be on a restrictive diet or have a Winnie the Pooh belly and just eat chocolate and honey treats and drink whiskey. I don't think you should give up and be Winnie the Pooh. I mean, Pooh's happy, but all he is is sucking on honey all day. And it can't be terribly healthy to just have whiskey, chocolate, and honey treats. No. And it can't be terribly healthy to be restricting yourself in a way that uh, is causing anxiety and fear of gaining weight and, you know, whatever it is. Did she say she was in a restricted diet that was torturing her? Yeah, she said, uh, I felt sexy and happy, but I was also filled with anxiety about accidentally gaining the weight back. That's something different. Accidentally yeah. gaining the weight back. Okay. She felt sexy and happy. So... Do you want to accept yourself and have no anxiety and no happiness and no sexiness? You know, everybody has a list of priorities. Zero in on what your priority is. Yeah, I think people have to realize that um, aside from eating, you can't sit still. And and I always talk about the um, idea of use it or lose it. And that has to do with not just your body, but you have to use it or lose it with your relationships, with your brain with your ability to love everything you do. If you don't use it, it's going to go away. And I highly recommend that, uh, that you not turn into uh, Winnie the Pooh and that you don't terribly restrict yourself. But um, 
incorporate some fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and things like that and um and keep your body moving and um that's what i would say use it or lose it and just think about that with every aspect of your life i like it i like that in every aspect of your life because you're right you use this you use these tools you build that muscle up within yourself emotionally spiritually physically and uh, you get more out of it. You really do. You get more out of it, what you put in. Yeah. It's like when you live alone, you don't really have to check in with anybody. And yeah. so you lose that ability to negotiate. Oh, you're right. You have to stay engaged. Yeah. Allison, we could all stand to be a little more like Winnie the Pooh, but um, but use it. Don't lose it. Yep. All right, Taylor, this next one comes from Trace. Trace writes, in a group setting, I took some thorough testing to see what jobs or careers suited my personality. Everyone but me got results that were reasonable. My highest scores directed me to the quote unquote job of religious leader. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry to laugh, Trace. As an agnostic lesbian with love in her heart, I felt kind of disappointed with that suggestion. Any advice? Oh, this is so loaded, but it's really not. I mean, there's truth to it. You obviously are a spiritual caring person. And I don't know about religious leader, what that means, if that's interpreted (laughs) that way. Right. Well, it seems like you might have to adjust things a bit and see what might be similar to that. Um, I mean, I feel like a religious leader could translate to a teacher. Totally. You know? A life coach. Like there's so many ways. Yeah. You have to not take it for exactly that. Agreed. There also might be, I don't know, maybe take another test. Yeah. That's, that doesn't go <laughs> false positive and false negative on you. Agreed. Yeah. Exactly. When I was just talking about the last person that wrote in talking about diet and, um, during the pandemic, as many of you know, I got my certificate in plant-based nutrition. And so I want to help people. And if people are interested in that kind of eating, then I want to be there for them. And so that could be considered like a religious leader because you're taking charge and you're you're trying to educate and guide people in in one way or the other if they want your guidance. So See if there's anything like that. Maybe it's music. Maybe you're a music teacher. I I don't know, but I would agree. An agnostic person probably isn't going to just go (laughs) get a job as a religious leader or start your own cult. But um, Trace, (laughs) take the test with a grain of salt and uh, just, you know, it's kind of like how you take my advice with a grain of salt. Taylor, this is our last listener question. It's a voicemail, and it's also what we around here call a hoo boy. Hoo boy. Hi, Tig. My name is Carol. I'm calling from New York City. I have a question. I am a product of a one-night stand tryst in New York City. Oh, I'm 56 years old. New York City, 1964. And never knew my dad. Totally cool with that. Not a big deal. But now, because I did Ancestry.com, I actually found my dad. 
and I have contact information for him that I could use to reach out to him. He is still alive. I found some second cousins. Um, I also found what I've now discovered are two sisters, half-sisters. So my question is, do I reach out? My concern is that I'm going to completely blow up their family uh, by doing so. But on the other hand, I am so curious to meet these siblings. And ironically, they all live within about two hours of where my mom lives. So weird and kind of creepy. Wow. Oh, man. Carol, that's a lot. That's You've got a situation on your hands. <sighs> I mean, I feel like I would personally reach out to him only because it'll be his choice if he wants to include the rest of his family. Right. But it kind of goes along with that idea of if you're mature enough to be having sex, you're mature enough to find out that this happened, whatever age you are. And it doesn't mean that you have to go and contact his extended family and his children. But I think starting with him and just getting a gauge of his feelings about it and then deciding whether or not you want to explore whatever possibilities or shut it down. But I think that you should be potentially open to shutting it down because if he's not open to it, then you don't want to go in and blow up an entire family. But I think that he's the one that, um, the connection is with. Yeah. I think that's the direct connection. And I would say begin there, but, uh, I mean, it's like, if he shuts it down, are you going to be a lunatic that goes and reaches out to his kids and his, you know what I mean? It's like, that would be weird. They're not the ones that you know, he's, he's the one that had this tryst or whatever. So that's my feeling. And personally, if I were him, I would welcome it. And I have actually a childhood friend who had a baby when we were 15 years old and she had an open adoption, but the people that adopted her baby didn't really keep the two of them in touch, even though it was an open adoption. I think that's what happened is the parents that adopted the baby didn't hold up their end of the deal. And then just over this pandemic, the little baby who is a grown woman got in touch with my childhood friend. And I remember my friend telling me, oh my gosh, I've never told my sons about the baby I put up for adoption when I was 15. And all these people in her life didn't know. And, and I was like, I can feel it in my gut that your sons would love and accept you. And sure enough, I mean, it's the greatest thing that has happened to her. And I know it's a different story, but it's still a complicated mm -hmm. uh, situation. What is your feeling, Taylor? I completely agree with you. I, I think it has to start with the father. I mean, if that is mm -hmm. really the where the DNA, regardless of the extension from there, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Test the waters there. Yeah. And that's fair. It could be a really cool, exciting thing 
Or it could be the next, you know, Netflix series I'm watching. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> or or you, you might meet your father and be like, I don't want to be in touch with this guy. I was going to say that too. And no, thank you. Yeah. And I don't think it's weird that your grandma lives near. I, none of that seems like, yeah, don't take that as, none of that is weird and bizarre. It's just, this is your story. Yeah. It's equally your story as it is your father's story. And so- to protect him is denying yourself your story. That's why I, I think it's important that if you have this interest, you should reach out to him because it is your story. It's your experience. This is his story, his experience, but he's not opening that part of the book. Or knew about it. Yeah, exactly. Maybe didn't know about it, but I do think that uh, you can't deny yourself your part in a story. That's important to think about. But I'm thrilled that you reached out, and I'm very curious to hear what goes on. And like Taylor said, we'd tune in if this is the next Netflix series or whatever network. All right, Carol, good luck. And Taylor, I have one last segment before I let you go. No problem. I'm loving this. This final segment is best advice in a song. Okay. What's the best wisdom you've ever heard in the lyrics of a song? Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Anything from Bridge Over Troubled Water mm-hmm. to Hey Jude, right? Mm-hmm. To Joni Mitchell River or A Case of You. You know, I could drink A Case of You and still be on my feet. I'd still be on my feet. Yeah. That's just the exhilarating feeling when you're with somebody, you know, that feeling. Or when you're weary, feeling small, and, you know, when tears are in your eyes. Or you make a natural woman looking out yeah, yeah. in the pouring rain. I can't count. It's countless. Yeah. Close to you from Karen Carpenter. Why do birds suddenly appear when you, you know, every time you're near? I can't think of... What is his name? I'm I'm embarrassed that I'm forgetting his name. Um, but it's that line, I want to go where the weather suits my clothes. Aww. You know yeah, that line? I don't, but it's poetry, baby. I just love that because I really enjoy fall clothes. Yeah. And I always think about that of like, man, I gotta, I gotta get out there. I gotta get where my clothes make sense, you know? Yeah, I gotta go where it fits my clothes. It's Harry Nielsen, everybody's talking. You know that song? Yeah, of course. Everybody's talking. I don't wanna hear about Yeah, it's a genius song. Yeah. Only the colors of my mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. You should do a cover of that. It sounds so good. Deep Cat. Yeah. I think we're launching into a new type of uh, podcast. (laughs) Shout outs. (laughs) Shout outs with Tig and Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, uh, before we go, do you have anything you would like to let our listeners know about? Anything to promote? Yeah. I am in the studio right now with the wonderful Greg Fields, nine-time Grammy winner. So we are working on some incredible new music, and I'm really excited. We're in production phase of it, and I'll be in Capitol Records next week doing a little bit more recording vocals. And some of the songs are covers, and some of them are originals. It's really niche. It's going to be a vocal, uh, real experiment for me to really put my voice first instead of production. It'll be very interesting, and I'm very proud of it. I cannot wait to hear that. And then are you are you going to be uh, live anywhere? Of course. Back on the road, 22, 2022 uh-huh. is looking really good. And we're uh-huh. back at it. Yeah. 
things are opening up. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I, I can't wait to hear your Harry Nielsen cover of Everybody's <laughs> Talking. Dude, all, <laughs> take, just write a list of stuff yeah. and we'll just check it. Like, all right, sing this song. <laughs> Taylor. That's the end of our show. Tig. And it was an absolute pleasure to see you again. Absolute pleasure. And I do all these years later. Yeah. Love your voice so much. Every time I hear, I mean, people send me videos of just their <laughs> radio station, nothing going on, just like in their car. And they send me a video of the radio and then your music blaring and people will text that to me or tag me in it. Because they just want to hear you say what? (laughs) Uh, Excuse me. I'm sorry to bother you. (laughs) I have to tell you. I love your voice. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Which voice? (laughs) I, I love both. I love it. I'm endlessly appreciative of the time that you give me and the uh, sense of humor that you have about our past and the story I tell. Love it. And uh, your openness. So thank you. Amen. And likewise, my love. I'm glad you're feeling great. And it's always great to see you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. All right. Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark and Dan Latou. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Lily Kim, Alex Shafford, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at don'tasktig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. Hi, I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together... (laughs) 
We were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 